We're going to continue today in the series we started quite a while back in the uh, end of June, I believe it was, or month of July, and uh, a seven-sermon series on the seven signs in the Gospel of John, and uh, we had so many special things going on in August. I was just thinking about it this morning. I only preach one time in the month of August, but I promise not to keep you too long here today and make up for that. Our, our theme passage, which we have done uh, most of the sermons in this series from John 20, verses 30 through 31. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Today, going to preach from John chapter 6, verses 15 through 21, it says this, Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force, To make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. And it was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. I want to preach just for a little while on this thought, when Jesus shows up, when Jesus shows up. God bless you, you may be seated. There is a a saying that misery loves company. Anybody ever heard that? Misery loves company. And, and what it's primarily getting at is this, is that when you're miserable, you don't want to be miserable by yourself. Anybody ever been there? You've been in a miserable situation, or is it just me? Participation Sunday. Anybody ever been there where you've been miserable in your life? Anybody ever been miserable by yourself and wished that someone was there with you? Anybody? Nobody likes to be alone when things are going bad. And in fact, it is a truth that most things, if not all things, are better when you are not alone. Back in 1994, uh, many years ago, I, was, I, I went to Colorado for a couple of months to help a, a newer church there in Colorado in Durango, Colorado, and I was living with uh, a family that I knew here from Kansas City, and Crystal and I were dating at that uh, particular time. We had started dating, and the problem with me living in Durango was that I had this this major feeling of isolation. I went out there just after Thanksgiving which meant that it was coming on to winter, and between Durango and Kansas City were the Rocky Mountains. And the Rocky Mountains are, are, as you would know, the largest mountain range in the United States, and they're very, uh, have a lot of high peaks. And in order to get from Durango to Kansas City, 
most people would go over Wolf Creek Pass. Wolf Creek Pass was high up in the mountains, and you never knew if it was going to be closed because of the snow. So I'm in Durango, and Crystal and I are dating, and it's, I don't know, 13 hours or so from where I was to Kansas City, and, and it wasn't really the, the amount of time as much as it was the uncertainty on whether I could get there if I wanted to. That if I could, it was the uncertainty if I decided I wanted to go see her for the weekend. Could I just get in my vehicle and drive there? And, and I quickly learned this about myself is I don't like to be isolated. I, 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 and I wasn't. I knew people, but it wasn't with Crystal. And, and I learned that I didn't want to live on an island. I haven't ever been on an island, but I learned by being in Durango, I did not want to be on an island because if you need to get off the island, there's only two ways, and it's not getting in your car and driving. You either have to take a plane, which costs money, and you're on their schedule, or you have to take some kind of boat, which is, if you're in Hawaii, that's going to take a long time. And I'm not even sure I want to visit Hawaii, because I might just feel isolated over there, no matter how many people I knew. But part of what I learned also was that if I had my family with me, everything was okay. That I, I might could be in a, a place where I'm cut off as long as I have the people that are most important to me with me in that particular place. And, and it is a truth, as I mentioned, that things are, most things are better when we are not alone. It is also true that in life we will have opportunities where we feel alone and we feel lonely. In fact, it is the common uh, experience of our day that loneliness and being isolated, that people who can have thousands of friends on social media feel isolated and alone. They don't have the same level of relationship and they, they can't talk to their family. And It is a common feeling in the day and age in which we live and it is also true that we will have trouble in this life that nothing in life is always going to go just like you want it and Jesus himself would say in this life you will have tribulation anybody feel good about that <laughs> it's not an optimistic message but it is a true message but what will help us to get through trouble and what will help us get through tribulation is being with those who we care about. And most importantly, though, it will be when we are with Jesus. And when Jesus is on the scene, everything is better. Everything in life is just better when we have a relationship with Jesus. Anybody thankful that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ today? This passage that I read to you is... A common passage of Scripture. It is a story that most people who have been to Sunday school or grew up in, in or around church are familiar with this story. The context is this, is that John is writing to demonstrate the deity of Christ or to demonstrate that Jesus is God. He is writing all of these seven signs so that people will know that Jesus is God. He's more than just a man. He's not just another person on the scene claiming to be a prophet. He's not just another person on the scene that people are trying to make into the Messiah. But he is really 
who he says he is, and that means that he is the Messiah, and that by virtue of that, he is also God walking around in flesh. The Gospel of Luke is the most chronological of the Gospel accounts. As you know, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the, are the stories of the life of Jesus, including for many, most of them his birth, and then all of them his death, burial, and resurrection. And it does appear that our story is really chronologically accurate. Once again, John is not setting out to do a chronology, and so he's grouping stories to fit a particular narrative or a particular point he's trying to make. But here he puts this immediately after the feeding of the 5,000. It was the last sermon in our series where Jesus provided for those who were in the wilderness. And now he sticks this story into the text. And from our text today, I want to bring to your attention five truths about when Jesus shows up. Five truths when Jesus shows up. The first thing is this, when Jesus shows up, he is not surprised by our struggles. As I already mentioned, Jesus said, in this life you will have tribulation. He has prophesied that it will happen. Which means when it comes to pass and we have trouble and we have tribulation or we have struggles, Jesus is not surprised by that. Verse 18, it said, the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. Mark 6, a parallel passage to this would say it this way, when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he, Jesus, was alone on the land, and he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them, and about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. That Jesus is standing on the shore, or at this point, he's probably still up on the mountain that he has gone up to to pray, and he's looking out over the sea. And he sees the disciples out there rowing for all their words, but they're not making any headway. So he knows their problems, but, but more importantly, he knew the storm was coming. If we serve a God who knows all things, then that means he knows not only everything about us, but he knows everything that's coming later today. That he knows everything about everything. So when he says to them to go to the other side, he knows a storm is coming into their lives. He knows it's going to be difficult for them to get from where they, he is at that moment to where he wants them to go. He's not surprised by the struggle. Jesus, unfortunately for us, or maybe fortunately depending on how you view it, doesn't always protect us from difficulty. Wouldn't it be nice if we never had trouble? Would it be nice if that what Jesus said about in this life you will have tribulation, he was just kidding about that. Wouldn't it be nice if you just woke up every morning in a perfect utopia with nothing going on? No difficulty, no shortage of funds, no sickness, no pain, no sorrow. There is coming a day when that's going to be true, but right now we have trouble. So why does Jesus allow us to struggle? And, and why does he allow us to have 
pain and sorrow. I would tell you it's this because trials make our faith stronger. That if we never had any difficulty in life, instead of giving Him credit for that, we would take it for granted and just assume that that's the way life is. But when we have difficulty and we have times of tribulation and we have times of struggle and then we call upon Him and invite Him into our problem and He helps us through that, then we say, I have a God who's able to get me out of this. I I have a God who's able to help me in all of my difficulty. I've said this before, people want to see miracles, but nobody wants to get sick to see a miracle of healing. Nobody wants to be in poverty so that he can be a provider. Nobody wants to be almost in an accident so he can pick up your car and move it around the situation. But we want to celebrate that, but nobody wants to go through that. But you don't get miracles unless there's problems. You don't get healing unless there's sickness. You you don't get provision unless you're without. But he is a God who takes care of all of that and he uses our struggles to make our faith stronger, and to make us dependent upon Himself. The second thing is this. When Jesus shows up, He sometimes comes in unexpected ways. It says in verse 19, They had rowed about three or four miles. They saw Jesus walking on the water and on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. The text says just three or four miles, and they are in Tiberias where Jesus has turned, has multiplied the the bread and the fish, and he's fed the 5,000. And so they're on the shore of the lake in Tiberias, and he says to them, Go to Capernaum. If you look at a map across the sea there, they're on the west shore of the sea, and he's asking them to go to the, the north northernmost part of the sea, and it's only five or six miles. Israel is not a big place, and so this particular sea, it's really a lake. It's called a sea in the Bible, and in that part of the, the world, that was what they called it, but it's, it's just a lake. Five or six miles from where they are. and So they are trying to get from Tiberias to Capernaum, and Things are not going as they seem. It says they see Jesus walking. But earlier in the passage, it said Jesus had, his disciples had went down to the sea, and when darkness came, he had still not come to him. And just bear with me for a moment. There's a little bit of twisting in the, in the Greek text behind the scenes which is really this, that Jesus has told them to get in the boat and get to the other side. They waited on the shore for him to come, and he doesn't come. And so they finally take off without him. They're not expecting him to come meet them in the middle of the sea. They don't know how he's going to get to Capernaum. This is not that. That he's, they don't know where he is. They're just trying to be obedient, so they take off. And then he comes walking on the water. 
Matthew and Mark would state that they thought that it was a ghost or a spirit come walking on the water. They're, they're very superstitious people. And they immediately, when they see Jesus, and I, I can only imagine, it's dark out on the water. There's a big wind, which means there's probably not a moon, and, but maybe there's lightning like in this slide up here. And when the lightning flashes, they see a figure going across the water. And wouldn't you know it, every depiction of Jesus ever, he's in white. <laughs> and everybody knows ghosts wear white. <laughs> and, and so they see this figure coming across the water and they're afraid. Because it's not how they expected Jesus to come. They expected him to come down to the shore and get in the boat with them. But when he doesn't, they expect him to get in another boat or, and follow or to make the, the land journey from Tiberias to Capernaum. But Jesus doesn't come like that. And, and what I want you to understand is Jesus doesn't show up in our situation like we anticipate him to come. That he is God, and when he is, because he's God, he comes like he wants to come. He comes in his own time, and he comes in his own way. And when we have needs and we have struggles, he provides for us in his own way. Never, or almost never, like we want. I've told you this story before. This would have been somewhere around 2000. Older I get, the more I just I throw these dates out there, and they're really long ago. I have now lived half a century. Do I look that old? What, a, what about now? No, that was the wrong answer, John. I was praying one morning, and. And I've told this story in a different context, but I was praying one morning at, at Gateway College, and I had, I had like $3,500 saved up, and we needed a new vehicle. And the Lord spoke to me as I was praying and said, I will take care of your vehicle. I'm like, Yeah. Three or four months later, I'm praying again in the chapel. That The first time, I was walking across the, the front of the chapel. And then the second time, I was actually behind the, the platform there at Gateway. And I was praying. I said, Lord, I'm still trusting you for this vehicle. And he said, why are you holding on to the money? Now that, that's a piece of the story. And ultimately, I gave the money to missions. And when I did, God provided the vehicle. But I, when he told me he was going to provide the vehicle, I just had it all figured out exactly how he was going to do it. I had heard stories of this kind of thing happening, and I just knew that someone was going to walk up to me with the keys to their vehicle and say, the Lord told me to give you these keys to my vehicle. Now, not just any vehicle. It was going to be a nice vehicle. In fact, I had my pastor's Lincoln Town Car all picked out. That that was going to be the car that God was going to provide. And he was going to provide by 
the pastor just being led of the Lord to give me his car. He was very carnal and he didn't do that. But that's not the way God provided. He had a different plan and a different process and he always comes in different ways than we expect and he works in different ways. But it is incumbent upon us that when he shows up that we recognize his work and we recognize who he is and we recognize that he is now on the scene to do whatever we need. Sometimes he heals instantaneously and sometimes it takes weeks or months or sometimes in the case of Paul he says, my grace is sufficient for you, I'm not doing this. But it's better for you to be like you are than it is for me to heal you. So when he shows up, we need to recognize him for who he is. Number three is when Jesus shows up, he asserts his deity. He asserts his deity. As I mentioned, there are seven signs in the Gospel of John. Seven signs that demonstrate that Jesus is the God of the universe. But John also has another set of sevens. It is the seven I am statements that Jesus makes. Jesus would make statements such as I am the bread of life and before Abraham was I am and I am the way, the truth, and the life. I I am the good shepherd. I am the door to the sheepfold. And you go, well, what's the big deal? I am here today. The big deal is this, is that Jesus is not just using any old language. He's not just saying, I am here. But it goes back to the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3 where Moses is, he confronts God at at the burning bush and God speaks out of the bush to him and they have this conversation and God tells Moses to go to Pharaoh and Moses asks, God, who do I say has sent me? And God's response is this, I am that I am. Now, I don't want to get too technical for you, but, but whenever the 70 scholars in 250 B.C. translated the Old Testament into Greek, it's called the Septuagint. Look at your neighbor and say Septuagint. Victor knows what I'm talking about. We've had this Bible study. They translated... That phrase, I am that I am, with two Greek words, ego, I me. And those two particular words were never used by Jews to describe themselves or other things. It was used to only describe God. So what does Jesus do when he uses these statements? He doesn't just say, I am, in the generic sense, but he uses that phrase, that everybody knows refers to the God of the universe. And so when he comes walking on the water, he says, I am. You shouldn't be surprised that I'm here. You shouldn't be surprised that I'm walking on the water because I am. That he is asserting his deity and he's letting them know that he is the God of the universe. And what he wants to let you know in the middle of your trouble and your struggle and your trial is that he is the God of the universe and if he is, he can do anything. That there is nothing that is too hard for him. There is nothing too difficult for him. 
In the previous sign of the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus has, has taken that Old Testament story, that Old Testament time frame of the Jews wandering in the wilderness, not having food, and he provides manna or bread in the wilderness. And now the feeding of the 5,000, he's saying, hey, just like God did in the Old Testament, since I'm God, I'm going to do this in the, the New Testament. I am providing bread in the wilderness. And just like the God of the Old Testament in the Exodus, He rolls back the waters and He shows His authority over the waters. He said, I'm showing my authority here by walking on the water. Just His very action of coming on the water is showing He is deity. Who can walk on the water? Only God. But He says, I am. And what Jesus most wants you to know in your trouble is that He is with you and He is God. That there is nothing too difficult for Him. The fourth truth is this, when He shows up, He does the miraculous. Verse 21, then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. There are two miracles in this one verse. He's already done the miracle of walking on the water. And in Matthew, we have the story of how Peter sees him and wants to get out of the boat. It's the Lord, if it's really you, let me come to you. And he, he walks on the water, and then he looks around at all his circumstances, and he sinks, and then he, God Jesus takes them by the hand, they walk back to the boat. So there's miracles all around this, but, but maybe, most importantly for us on this point, is it is the miracle of His presence. When He says that I am, be not afraid. King James, be not afraid. The ESV, which we read today, don't be frightened. That when Jesus is with us, everything is just better. That we don't have to go through life being isolated, and we don't have to go through life being lonely, because even if we're, we're cut off and separated from our family, our cut cut off and separated from our friends, the God of the universe is with us. Their fear turns to wonder. Their fear turns to peace. It is the miracle of His presence. You don't have to come to church to feel His presence. You don't have to come into a corporate atmosphere to understand and acknowledge that He is with you. But in the middle of whatever storm you're going through and whatever trouble you're going through or you will go through, He wants to be with you. The second miracle in this is He calms the storm. Matthew and Mark record that the winds and the storm ceased when he got into the boat with them. But even if he doesn't calm the storm, 
I would tell you that being in the middle of a storm with Jesus is better than anywhere else without Him. My brain can't wrap around this because I've been around church all my life, received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at the age of 11, haven't always walked with Him, but I've always been around Him. And I can't imagine going through life without Jesus. Unfortunately, the majority of our world, they do. It's not that I have less trouble or less problems than anybody else. Or if you're walking with Jesus, it's not that you have less trouble and difficulty than anybody else, but it's that He's just with you in the middle of all of it. He is the one who gives peace that passes all understanding. It is no accident that prophet speaking of Jesus that he is the prince of peace because there's peace in his presence there's peace when we are walking with him there's peace when he is with us the last truth that I would bring to you is this that when Jesus shows up he takes us to our destination. I mentioned already it's five or six miles from Tiberias to Capernaum across the sea. It is a journey that by boat they should have been able to accomplish in just a couple of hours. Not a long journey, not a journey that they are not unaccustomed to. But they have been rowing all night Jesus comes in the fourth watch of the night, which is between 3 and 6, 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. It's the final watch of the night. They left at dark at the latest. If you want to put it as late as possible, that they've left at 9 o'clock in the evening, more than likely, though, they left even earlier. But at minimum, they have been rowing for some six hours trying to get from Tiberias to Capernaum. They weren't moving as fast as that train. They're rowing, making little progress. Jesus, as I mentioned, he's on the mountain. He looks out, he sees their struggle, he sees their trouble, which he knew was going to come. But when Jesus gets into their boat, the Bible says immediately that they were at their destination. This is at least another miracle. They're some two to three miles away from Capernaum, struggling all night to get to where they're going, and Jesus comes walking on the water, he gets into their boat, and immediately they're at the shore. 
John's Gospel and, and even the other Gospel writers, they don't go into any detail. It's kind of like Philip, the evangelist in Acts chapter 8, he's, he's preaching to the Ethiopian eunuch. He's out in the desert. He baptizes him, and then the, they come up out of the water, and then it says, and then immediately Philip is preaching in Azotus. 26 miles away, and the Bible just says, he went from here to there, boom, just like that. Doesn't go into detail. It doesn't talk about the fastest marathon in the history of the world. But 26 miles, just like that. In the Bible, because it's so full of miracles, it just says, <laughs> he was just here and now he's there. It's the same way. They're two to three miles away from shore, but when Jesus gets in their boat, immediately they're at their destination. What I would tell you is this, is it is impossible for you and I to get to the destination that we want to go to unless Jesus is in our life. That at the end of this life, as, as the musicians come, and at the end of this life, there is only two options. It is either heaven or it is hell. And there's only one way to get to heaven, and that is if we are in a relationship with Jesus. That if Jesus is in our lives, it may not be immediate for us right now, but there's coming a day when the trumpet will sound and in a moment in the twinkling of an eye, we will be at our destination. But we don't get there unless we are with Jesus. When Jesus shows up, He will get us to where we are wanting to go. The five truths are this. When Jesus shows up, He is not surprised by our struggles. He sometimes comes in unexpected ways and when he shows up, he asserts his deity. When he shows up, he does the miraculous. And when he shows up, he will take us to our destination. The Bible is God's story of his relationship with humanity. It begins or begins with him creating the world and creating man. Being in a relationship with Adam and Eve where he walks with them and talks with them in the cool of the day and how sin breaks that fellowship with him. The rest of the Bible, from Genesis 3 to Revelation 22, Is God's story of bringing people back into relationship with Himself. It is the mission that He gives the Old Testament church, the Jews. It is the mission He gives to the New Testament church, you and I. It was Jesus' mission while He walked on the earth of bringing people into relationship with Himself. is why Jesus came and walked the earth and lived a perfect sinless life to die on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin 
is why he was buried and that he rose again the third day so that when our sins have been taken away, we could then rise to walk in newness of life and we could be in relationship with him. Not just here and not just now, but for all eternity. Jesus showed up in human form to make a way for us to get to heaven. Unlike the disciples in our story, if we are born again, Jesus is always with us. Jesus is, for that 33 or so years, He's he's walking around in human form, which means that for them, if they can't see the human form and they're not next to that human form, that humanity, then Jesus isn't with them. They're in the middle of the sea and He's on the shore somewhere. But when we're born again, Jesus is always with us. That there's never a time when we go, Jesus, I wish you were here. He's always here. We may not always feel Him. We may not always experience a manifestation, a revelation of His presence, but He is with us. Jesus would say in John 14, I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. And He has done that through the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 28, 20, He would say this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we can be confident of this, that if we are walking with Jesus and we have been born again and we are continuing in faith, that He is with us. So that is the entirety of the reason I preach this, is when Jesus shows up through the new birth experience, that all of these things are true all of the time. So our responsibility in our action, our call to action is this, is to walk with Him. To be with Him. To be in relationship and fellowship with Him. And when we go through trouble and we go through trials, to understand that He's with us, but sometimes He's waiting on us to say, Jesus, will you help me? Jesus, will you do this for me. I have been around people and maybe I am one of these try to do everything by myself. And people be like, hey, do you need some help? No, I got it. We can do that with Jesus. Jesus, He's here, and He's like, hey, you you need some help. Can I, you want me to help you through this problem? And if we're not careful, we say, no, Jesus, I got this. But we don't have to do it that way because He is with us and wants to help us in all of our trouble. 
Would you stand together? I, I started this series with seven signs in John. I felt the Lord was directing me to do it. And, and if I could be transparent, part of it is this, is that my natural inclination, at least in this season of our church, is to preach about what God wants us to do and how He wants us to live and how He wants us to be. But I felt like God was saying, just tell them about what I can do for them. He is a God who heals. He's a God who provides. And today, He is a God who is here. A God who shows up in our lives and is always there. That we're not waiting on Him to come walking across the water. He's already with us. Anybody have any struggles in your life? Anything you need from God? Job or, or money or healing or strength? A few hands were lifted or not, but I know. I know some situations, but I know that regardless, everybody always has something. Everybody always has something that they would like Jesus to take care of. That, and what I would tell you today, you don't have to do any of it by yourself. Because when Jesus is on the scene, miracles happen and everything is better. So just for a moment, I'm going to invite all of us to come to the front. If you have a need, then you need to come. If you don't have a need, you need to come because you will have one later. It may not be today, it may not be next week, but there will be times of trouble and struggle and tribulation. And so would you all come and just lift your voices, lift your hands, your hearts to the Lord as they get ready to sing and just thank Him for His presence. And just, if you're currently going through something, invite Him to work in it. Lord, I don't want to carry it.